Edmonton Eskimos and BC Lions. Since retiring, he has become an accomplished author, keynote speaker, and professional development coach based out of the Atlanta area. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Rennie Curran to Changing the Field. Randy Kern on the show. First, 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 first All-American, All-SEC football player to ever join the show, man. And I, before getting on air, I told you I tremendously appreciate this, man, and sincerely thank you for coming on. Yeah, no problem, man. Glad to be on. Uh, it's an honor to be on, man. Anytime I get a platform, anybody that I can reach, man, I never – turn it down at least at this point you know i know things will get crazier continue to get crazy in the future man but love being able to do this and uh and share and then connect i know you do you do a lot of speaking engagements how has that been affected for you with covid and everything have you had to change a lot to virtual and and kind of pick this up a little bit more yeah yeah definitely you've done a lot more virtual engagements and everything and uh it's created a lot of uh, opportunities man I'm, I'm one of those guys where um, even when my back's against the wall, even when things shift and change, which is what I'm used to from the game of football, man, like I always look for the opportunity. I always try to take the right mindset into it, man. So not only doing the virtual things, but it's also allowed me to be able to offer my service and my skills in a different way. So instead of just doing keynotes, like I've been able to work more one-on-one -on -one with people. So I have like some new coaching clients that I've been able to pick up because of the fact that I'm not, you know, speaking, uh, I'm not traveling to speak and I'm not as busy as I was before. So it's, it's opened up a lot of doors. Every time there's challenges, there's also opportunities. So your coaching business, you have a lot of personal clients. You're also doing, I know uh, I read that you've spoken or spoke. Uh, this is why I don't do the same gig that you do. But uh, <laughs> uh, if you work with Coca-Cola, you work with a lot of like big companies around the Atlanta area, big companies around the globe. Do you do uh, like the personal one-on-one -on -one coaching and what, what does that entail? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, like you said, I've spoken to different companies, associations, schools. And I really started with schools, man. That was my first passion was just leveraging my platform as an athlete uh, and just inspiring kids to not give up on their dreams. And it really just grew from there. And um, when it came to the businesses, it was more about leadership and performance and uh, team building a lot of the things that really helped me to set myself apart as an athlete and uh, the different teams I was on, I took a lot of those principles and applied it to the business world. And I do the same thing with my coaching clients It's really about helping them get to the next level in their life or business. So a lot of what I do with them is helping them to really break themselves down in terms of like, what's their goals, what's their ultimate vision? Uh, what are they trying to accomplish? And then from there, holding them accountable 
helping them from a strategy standpoint. Like if they're trying to build their personal brand, they're trying to improve their business, uh, they're trying to expand their brand by becoming a speaker or author, I'm kind of there along with them as that coach to help guide them, to help them reach their goals, to ask them those powerful questions that help them to get clarity, right? Um, to help them in terms of building that confidence. Because a lot of people, they're very skilled, very talented. We all know them, right? They all have things they want to accomplish, but either they, they lack the discipline, they lack the focus, um, they're not sure what steps they need to take, they're not sure to who, who they need to connect with to make certain things happen. So I'm that guy that really helps them to create a, a clear strategic plan to help them achieve their goals, man. And it's one of the most fulfilling things that um, that I, I, I could ever do, you know, way more fulfilling than hitting people full speed. I mean, I, I love doing that, but uh, now it's, it's so much greater, man. The impact that I'm able to have on people and just seeing them, seeing them from the time I meet them when they're kind of just in a place of feeling stuck and they're frustrated or they're not really sure what to do. And week after week after week, we just make progress. We, you know, I have them like do things, like I have them track their wins. You know, every week I have them track their improvements. And then week by week by week, you just see the growth. And eventually they start to tackle those goals and they just build more and more confidence. And it just eventually leads to just building that momentum that changes their life. That's such a beautiful thing, man. I'm, I kind of share the same passion of helping people, which is why I, you know, got into this podcast in the first place. I felt like this would be uh an opportunity to reach people and especially virtually, you know, I know in-person is really big, but to be able to kind of uh, get people like yourself that, that know how to get to that level, to be able to get that to an audience, you know, I feel yeah. like is absolutely invaluable because I know you're just going to come on here dropping gold. The reason I know that is because I read your book, uh, free agent, the, yeah. the perspective of a young African-American athlete. I absolutely loved it. Uh, I got, yeah, I got a subscription to audible and one of the, for, with one of my tokens or whatever, I I ended up purchasing your book and I I just binged it over the whole weekend. I was walking my daughter and listening to it. It was a really good book, man. And, uh, where you wrote the book when you were 23, like, did you have plans of, of getting done playing and writing a book? Like, how did that come about? Nah, man. And, and uh, as I was going through that process, it was really therapy for me. Like I started the whole process of writing by venting. Like I was just dealing with a lot of things in my life at that time, man. Uh, it's like I, I tell people now when I look back, when you talk about athlete going through a transition, especially if they're able to make it to the highest level and they've been doing it for 20 plus years, that's literally like going through a midlife crisis, you know, at that age. You know, people don't look at it like that, but it's when you have to go from that to like, wondering what you're going to do for the rest of your life. That's no different than that person who's been in their career and have to completely, you know, they retire, they have to completely start from scratch and create mm. a whole new life, man. Uh, and so going through that whole experience, I just had so many um, things that, was, that were on my mind. Uh, when I look back over my career, there's uh, so many revelations, so many lessons I learned. And so it really started out with just me venting about what I was going through at that time. And what I realized in the process of venting and, uh, really trying to express my thoughts and frustrations and, and all those different things. Um, I realized there would be so many other people who go, who would be going through the same thing. And mm. even though uh, I was still, the thing about it though, is I was still training, right? I was still trying to chase my career. So I would train four hours a day and then I would come home and I would write, or I would wake up sometimes four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning, write, and then go train and come back, man. So as I was waiting to get picked up by another team, this is like what got me through that, man, was just knowing that 
if I can maximize this time, if I can, you know, do something that's going to impact somebody else by what I'm going through right now, not only is it going to motivate me to keep pushing and keep uh, fighting to achieve my dreams, but when this time has passed, because I knew it was going to pass, when I when I knew that when this time had passed, I'll be able to look back and, and say, man, I did something with this. Or I didn't mm -hmm. just sit around and just feel sorry for myself and say, woe is me, but I did something productive, man. And so that book was a product of that, of being in that space, of being in that no man's land, of being a free agent, man. Um, and it's been able to, you know, inspire so many people to this day. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Uh, and I was 24 when I released it. Uh, but yeah, just to look back, man, on that time and know that this is something that's going to be around forever. Like it's, it's powerful, man. And it's, a you know, just a testament to what you can do, even when you're in a place where people would consider failure, right? You can still mm -hmm. turn it into success, just depending on how you approach it. Absolutely. So you were 23 when you wrote the book and 24 when it came out. What, yeah. If my math is correct, you were right in between the NFL and the CFL at that point? Yeah, so I had, uh, so when I started writing it, I had just gotten cut by Tennessee. And then I actually, in the middle of writing it, I ended up getting picked up by Tampa Bay, which is crazy because they're about to be in the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I went there as a starter, you know, as a su supposed starter, right? And so did everything to, to get out on the field and be that starter and and be the the guy like after you know after everything i had experienced and i was you know working on the book here and there but kind of took a break on it and then throughout the course of that uh draft comes up and they draft the guy by the name of levante david and so right <laughs> like who just so happened to be best linebacker they you know had since Derek brooks great guy and we played the same position and i mean obviously you know what happened so end up getting getting cut, you know, once they uh, gave him those reps and he got in there and did a great job, uh, which was tough, man. It's, it's like one of those things that was extremely hard um, because I'm like, man, I, I'll compete with anybody. But when you're in the mm -hmm. league and the, there's the politics, there's the draft picks and all those things, there's really a lot of things that are out of your control. And that's one, one thing people don't realize when you see guys getting cut or they might have two years or whatever, you don't – a lot of times it's not even – it doesn't even have anything to do with how good you are uh, – plays that you made or didn't make it was like this is who they drafted like this is who they invested in that player is going to be out there and that's that it is what it is it's the nature of the business and so after I got cut that second time is when I was like okay I'm gonna finish this book um because that was kind of my sign from God that I got to get this thing done because mm -hmm. it's like the same thing happened twice I get, I get cut back to back so I'm like okay I'm gonna finish this thing I'm gonna continue building my brand I'm gonna continue putting myself in a position to where I don't have to depend on whether the team chooses me or not or whether they decide I'm tall enough or not. Like entrepreneurship ain't about that. It ain't about how tall you are, who likes you, who doesn't. It's just, can your product create a solution for somebody? Like that's all that matters. Can it solve a problem? And so I knew that if I could do something like that, if I could create this brand, if I could create this book, if I could become a speaker and develop a skill set, that I would be able to set myself apart to where if I'm on the field, I don't have to worry about if somebody's going to cut me or not. And so that was a big part of why I finished it, man, not only to empower myself, but to empower others in the process. And when I finished it, I had actually gone back to the University of Georgia because I left early to finish my degree. That's um, right. Uh, yeah, I went back, man. And uh, that was a tough experience, man. But it put me in a good environment to where, like, when I wasn't in class, I wasn't out, you know, just doing whatever. Like, I was already on campus. So I would go, you know, to the library, to the UJ library. I'll go to Starbucks. You know, as I'm studying, I'm working on my book, 
you know, all those things, man, it, it was a grind, man. But I said it was worth it. And so by that spring, um, by that spring semester 2013 is when I released a book. And the first book signing I did was at the UGA bookstore. Yeah. So did it there, had some of my uh, former teammates come through. And then after that is um, when I really started speaking more. And then I started getting calls from Canada. Uh, and that's when I decided to take that leap of faith and go up to Canada and continue with my career. And even when I was in Canada, man, I was having books shipped up there. And when I wasn't, uh, when I wasn't at practice, when I wasn't playing, I was doing a book signing somewhere. I was at, you know, their version what? of Barnes and Nobles. Yeah, I was at their Barnes and Nobles, their version of the Canadian version of Barnes and Nobles. I can't even remember the name of it now, but I would do book signings there. I was doing school tours. I was going to companies, speaking churches, speaking and, and whatnot, and just really building my brand, man. And it really, really, um, help me and uh it's something that i'm so passionate about to when it comes to athletes because so many of us when we're playing like that's we got tunnel vision and that's it like mm. we don't really do anything else man and, and then we eventually get cut and then we're like oh dang what am i gonna do now but yep. i had the fortune of you know being able to really build my brand uh as i was playing and really leveraging it which really helped me when i eventually did fully transition in 2017 after i tore my patella tendon so I can't I can't even imagine what the the scouts for like the Canadian League were thinking when it's like we got a we got a first team all American led the SEC in tackles first team all SEC absolute beast just sitting here waiting to get picked up like I bet the scout that found you was like <laughs> I bet he was pretty damn excited. <laughs> yeah, man. The, the guy's name was Paul White, and he he blew my phone up, man. He would not stop calling. He's like, man, <laughs> we got to get you back on the field. Like, you're too good to be sitting at home. And, you know, I, I was of uh, the mindset where it's, where it's like, man, I got to be in the NFL, man. This is where I, I want to be. But it was just so many circumstances that, like, really set me up for failure. Like, uh, most people don't know this, but, like, when I got cut after that first time, there was a rule where, like, you couldn't be on practice squad if you played in more than eight games. And in my what? rookie year, yeah, you, can, you can't you can be in. They changed the rules since then. And I tried, like, so many times to get it changed and called them and tried to see if I worked something out. They would not budge. Um, and they didn't change it till like, 2015 or something like that, 2014, 2015. But at the time when I got cut, it was if you play in more than eight games, you can never be on practice squad. And it just so happened my rookie year, I played in nine games, mm. all special teams. So not even real reps. I played in, yeah, nine games. And so every team I would go in, I worked out with the Bears. I worked out with the Carolina Panthers um, and, and a couple of other teams. And every time I will go, they'd be like, we like you. We want to pick you up, but you don't have practice squad eligibility. And so they would pass up on me and take the next best guy. And so that's that's how I ended up just staying at home, man, and um, – you know, not knowing if I was ever going to play again. And so went up to Canada, hoping that I could at least get real film on the field, man. And even that was full of politics because they have what's called the ratio rule up yep. there that says that, yeah, they, they, you have to have a certain amount of Canadian players on the field and on the roster at mm -hmm. all times. So I didn't end up playing until week nine um, out there, man. And still ended up, when I did get out there, still ended up becoming like third on the team in tackles. 
Yeah, I was gonna say I didn't realize that you ended up playing till week nine, and you still like had like like um I, I do a lot of research on the guests, but when I saw your Canadian football league stats, I was like, oh okay, like he got like a couple of full seasons in there. I didn't realize you like had like two picks, like 60, 70 tackles or something like that. It's like you wake up, yeah. eat breakfast, and then like start your day with like ten tackles, like <laughs> just already on the stat line. That's insane, man. So Appreciate what? It. Okay, so kind of digging back, uh, backtracking a little bit here. When when do you feel like you really fell in love with the game of football? Because I know in your book, um, you know, coming from coming from the background that you came from, as far as having uh, parents that had immigrated from Liberia, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, parents that that immigrated here and they were super super busy working their jobs and, and trying to provide for their family and stuff like that and couldn't attend a lot of games for you yeah. what was what was the thing that made you fall in love with football because to be that yeah, good it, at it you there's no doubt you like have to love it to some aspect in my opinion yeah i mean honestly man it, it started from the first time i touched the football like I remember like it was yesterday, I was in my apartment complex and uh, I walked down, we had like a big hill uh, in front of my apartments and, and we had a small three, three bedroom apartment, but um, yeah, we had a big hill in front of it. So I walked down this hill, get to the bottom of it. And there were always a bunch of kids there who were older than me. Uh, and that day when I walked down, uh, there were about 10, 10 kids who were all playing pickup football. And so I'm like, seven, eight years old at that time. And I just walk up and I'm like, hey guys, can I play? I mean, just like any kid would. And they, they decided to let me uh, join on the team. And like maybe two plays in, one of the guys tossed me the ball and I just took off, was juking folks, was, and it was like, it, it's like when I, when I touched that ball, when I took off, it was like it tapped into my soul, man. It was like my spidey senses kicked in, just like, you know, <laughs> in the Spider-Man movies is like, and I realized like something clicked in my mind, it was like, that told me I had like some rare ability, a rare gift. And it was like, I knew at that moment I had something different. And from there, man, it was like, I, I didn't have organized football, but I just knew I had an ability. I was always a rough kid. Like I was I was the only boy in my household. So I, <laughs> I was always finding myself in trouble. Like I always needed an outlet. Like I was just doing crazy stuff. Like that hill in front of my, uh, <laughs> in front of my neighbor, uh, in front of my apartment, like I would literally just like, like do cartwheels down that hill, like for no reason, just like ball of energy. And I had no outlet. And when I found football, it finally gave me like that outlet, that control, like energy that I needed, man, that controlled expression that I needed. And so we moved to Gwinnett when I was 10 years old, uh, which is like you know, 20 minutes from Atlanta, 45 minutes from Athens where University of Georgia is, moved to Snellville. And my parents, being who they are, they, they focus on education. You know, a lot of immigrants, when they come here, it's all about education. It's all about improving themselves. So they, uh, I don't know if they did this intentionally or not, but the school system that they put me in, Brooklyn was one of the top schools, like, in, in the state, pretty much. Um, it's between Brookwood and Parkview. But they also were a powerhouse football school. So, like, you know, just, it couldn't have worked out any better. Yeah, so just got... <laughs> into one of the best programs, man, where, and it's like a feeder system. So like by, by the time you're in like seventh, eighth grade, like they're already preparing you for high school and everything. They already got it. Like just one of the best communities, uh, parents involved, all that. And so, um, 
met my little league coach and he was like a diehard University of Georgia uh, football fan. His country is a good, he was from South Georgia. Um, but he, he took me in like his son, man. And uh, when my parents couldn't, you know, because they were working and all those different things, they couldn't pick me up for practice. Uh, always had him or one of my coaches that would pick me up every single day for practice, man. And he took me uh, to my first Georgia game with his son, uh, JT, and uh, who was my quarterback. I, I By my second year, I played uh, running back. So first year, played offensive line, defensive line. Didn't know what I was doing out there. Second year, played running back. The light bulb started to click and uh, played linebacker as well, but didn't really care too much for defense. Um, but yeah, once he took me in my first Georgia game and I got exposed to the, the world and the culture and the religion of Georgia football and walked into that stadium, man, it, it was like, man, uh, it, was on. it was like my whole, yeah, it was like my whole life, life flashed before me. So I still remember being 10 years old and, and being under those lights, looking down onto the field and being like, man, this is where I'm going to go. This is what I'm going to do. That's beautiful. Yeah. Do you feel like. I, I was meaning to ask you this as well uh, about your parents. When they when they got to the United States, was was moving from from Liberia to the like Georgia? You said you were kind of more northern Georgia area, like a little bit not north of Atlanta. Yeah, not, you guys not went to first. South Georgia first. No, no. So we're we're in Atlanta, Atlanta, because my mom okay. Emory is right in the heart of Atlanta. Yeah, so she came here on scholarship to get her master's in nursing, and oh, so. Okay. Yeah, so we were, we were in that downtown, kind of midtown area. And uh, she worked at Grady Hospital the time I was born. She had worked at different hospitals, but Grady was like where she worked at the longest, which is in right in the heart of downtown. Like that's Atlanta, Atlanta. And yeah. I actually went to a daycare that was right in front of Grady and went to oh, the, wow. uh, yeah, man. So I'm like at, born, raised like at, as Atlanta. Yeah, ATL <laughs> as it gets, man. And so, um, yeah, that was like my, my beginnings, just being, being in Atlanta went to church around the airport and all that. I went to a church that was mostly people from Liberia and West Africa and everything. So that allowed me to stay oh, in okay. tune with my culture and things like that. Yeah. But once we moved to Gwinnett, it was a big uh, culture, culture shock. Man. Yeah. yeah. Culture shock, man. Just being like the only black dude in my class, like all those different things. Um, it, it was different, man, but it really helped me to grow. And now when I look back, it was such a gift because now as an entrepreneur, as a speaker, I know how to relate to different types of people. You know, there's there's certain people who can't operate when they're around, like in, if they're the only one in the room and, you know, they haven't been around certain different groups, of uh, different types of people, they're not able to connect. They're not able to have that emotional intelligence or even be able to just hold a conversation with somebody who doesn't look like them. But for me, that was my childhood, like just going in those, di operating in those different circles, because not only was I African-American, I was also African. Mm -hmm. and, then I, and then I also had that layer of growing up, you know, in the suburbs. Um, so it's like, I always had to learn how to shift and, and how to uh, adapt. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. so I, I already know the answer to this cause I read your book, but did you have any other interests growing up? I think, sure. uh, yeah. Outside of football. Could you, could yeah. you elaborate on that a little bit? I think people Definitely, will be absolutely yeah. shocked that don't already know your story. Yeah, man. So uh, one of the things that people don't know about me is that I actually was a musician before I was an athlete. So my mom, uh, you know, as I said before, I was active. I was a knucklehead. And so she tried different ways to get me to calm my ass down. So <laughs> one of the first things she did was she got me into music, man, and uh, started playing the piano at the age of eight years old. And I had an amazing piano teacher. He was old school. Mr. Benny, he was like 80 years old and, and played the organ in 
in a in church and whatnot. So he had he had that soul. So he would come over once a week and uh, you know would just teach me how to play. And then from there, um, at my church, actually, the, my pastor's son taught me how to play the drums. So I put started playing the drums. And then by the time I was in uh, middle school, started playing the viola in the orchestra. And uh, some that I fell in love with, man, I played all the way. Like I was one of the, probably one out of, it was me and one other guy who actually played linebacker as well, one of my teammates. And we were both in the orchestra, like all from, from middle school to all the way. I was in there all the way until my junior year, until like football got really, really serious pretty much. But um, Do yeah, you feel like, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, do you feel I like... Being a musician, learning learning an instrument or several instruments, do you think that had an impact on your athletic career at all? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. It's no different than how when you have an athlete who plays multiple positions or different sports, how they just are better athletes, right? They mm-hmm. can just draw from different perspectives. Like you, I mean, I, I believe um, Patrick Mahomes and, like, you know, Russell Wilson, like all these guys, they play baseball, they play other sports and whatnot, which help them. Uh, you know, just have an overall better performance and, and be better at what they do. And I believe it's the same thing, man, with like music. Like there haven't been any studies that I know of done, but I truly believe like the fact that I was a musician, the fact that like I understood like like there's just certain things in music that really translate into into sports, like timing, you know, mm-hmm. like uh yeah. rhythm just uh getting in rhythm, the moment, yeah, rhythm being in the moment. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, being in the moment of just like tapping into the other side of your brain. So that reflective side and, and all those different things. I, I, I'm definitely going to do more research on it. But I, I know for a fact that it had a major role to play in just like my ability to perform on the field. in my Because I was very cerebral. I was very mm-hmm. a very intuitive player. And I know that came from the music side and the things that I was able to do. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that playing – I played linebacker in high school and it was probably mm. – might have been the worst linebacker in the history of my high school. I just – I was like a defensive end, kind of on the line type of guy, and that made sense yeah. to me. But for some reason, standing up and having to see everything for me was yeah. like – it just didn't vibe. It, it didn't jive with me that much. To be able to put up the stats that you put up and have the career that you have, people just assume – I think, you know, not probably maybe not as many people as before, but I feel like people assume that it's just, hey, he's a great athlete. So he's just going to go run around and make every tackle just because he can run faster or he can bench more or whatever the case. But the linebacker position is so cerebral. The guys that are at the yeah. top of the top, the the Levante Taylors, the Luke Keekleys, those kind of guys. Right. They're students of the game and it takes a personality like that to be great at that position. So I've always, yeah. I, I know I, I, you know, in my own career, like that was like my main adversary was linebackers, but I've always had such a, a huge respect for that position because of that. You have to be a well-rounded mm-hmm. athlete to be able to pull that kind of stuff off. So definitely kudos for that. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm interested in the music thing. Cause as my daughter's coming up, man, I'd love to get her into something like, uh, you got your daughter yeah. doing anything? Music? Yeah, yeah. So I, I've definitely taught her. Uh, she's actually doing, she's here right now. She's doing chorus right now and everything. And uh, I've All taught right. her how to play the piano, just the basics and whatnot. Um, but yeah, she she loves music. She's got a great taste like her dad <laughs> in terms of uh, the music she listens to, man. So yeah, it's, it's extremely an important, man, development tool. And I, I just, I, I'm not one 
to you know be one of those parents that like just puts their kids in all sports i think that's the worst thing you can do honestly is just put them in a box like as parents mm. we should expose our children to as many things as possible and i'm so thankful my mom did because like a lot of times when i was depressed when i was sad because of football not being away i hopped on my piano and that was like my therapy man but if i didn't have an alternate identity or something uh, else to express my some other way to express myself like that would have been that so detrimental uh, to just my future, man, and the things that I could uh, believe that I could accomplish. And I feel like that's where a lot of athletes struggle. A lot of people struggle because they only focus on one thing. They only have one skill. And so once that thing is taken away, it's like you take away their whole entire identity. Mm. You Speaking of identity, how much of your identity do you feel like was wrapped up in being an athlete? Because I know it's yeah. when you're, I feel like when you're in, when you're, when you're actually still playing and you're an athlete, yeah. you don't really understand that when it ends, you kind of like look back and you're like, oh, wow, like a lot of like my, you know, yeah. identity or self-confidence was kind of tied to that. Was that something that you dealt with or was that something oh, kind of yeah. negated? Okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's, there's no way you can play this game without like giving your whole self to it and like being completely dialed in. I mean, you know, you, you've been a part of a team. Like, what's the first thing that the coaches really want you to do? It's like all about buying in. It's all about, you know, you're not an individual, right? You're part of mm -hmm. this team. And that involves, you know, that involves a certain level of identity. Like when you put the, put those the, that, that helmet on, you strap up, you better believe that you're a freaking warrior out there. You're going to get you know, your ass toe up. Like, that's just how it goes. So you really, it, it really uh, involves identity i mean no different than a guy in the military when you step into that uniform when you strap up when you get into the barracks with guys next to you it's like that you're you're all in or why why are you there you know so that's uh one of the things that makes it so great and what makes players and teams amazing is that you're bought in to each other into that team into that organization but it's like a double-edged sword because when it's done and you're cut off from that world like there's, there's not that same kind of mindset when it comes to transitioning. When it comes to transitioning, it's like, ain't no talk about team. There's no talk about, you know, we in this together. It's yeah. like, you on your own. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was good. Got great memories with you. But uh, yeah, I can't call my coach every day now and be like, hey coach, like, what are we doing at 12 o'clock? Like, he's gonna be like, uh, I'm gonna get back to you. Like, right. good luck, you know? Um, so, that's one of the, the toughest things, man, when it comes to just um, transitioning and, and when you look at just athletes as a whole, man, is when you go from dang, being that, that guy who was so bought in, who loved the game, who ate, slept, crap football, and like you knew exactly what time you're supposed to be in the film room and what time you're supposed to be in the weight room and um, just know what you're going to be doing over the summer. And now it's like, all that is gone. The support structure is gone. The team is gone. The locker room experiences are gone. Like it's a, it's a huge, and it's such a big chunk of your life, man. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's, it's real. Okay. Did you have any kind of, of help in that transition? Was there anyone that, that played a big role in, in your transition out of football? How did that go for you? Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll be clear, man, like, and, and transparent, like you never fully, transition like when you especially if you're able to make it to the highest level you like I still in my mind I'm still a linebacker you know like mm -hmm. 
And I've learned just to accept that and to embrace it, you know, not to run away from it, not to like try to separate this side. It's like, nah, it's more so like, how can I still operate as a linebacker every single day, but just shifting the field that I'm on, shifting the type of game that I'm playing. And the fact that I've been able to do that, like translate my experience into something else, it's, it's been the biggest win of my life, man. Because so many guys struggle with that. They, they're walking around, they're lost. They don't know, you know, how uh, their, their past experiences translate to now. So they feel like the fact that they're not playing anymore, they feel like they're nothing. They feel like, you know, they, they have nothing of value that they can bring. Um, so, um, yeah, that, that's been a big part of, just my my progress and having guys who have been through that experience to look to to call on uh, was huge. So one of my mentors, man, a guy who um, and I, I truly believe in mentorship, man. That's one of the things I'm extremely passionate about as well, and I do it every single day. I'm I'm always texting somebody. Uh, I was texting a guy like literally 20 minutes ago, saying, "Hey, bro, like if you want to be coached, I, I'm here for you. You meet on a weekly basis." 10 minutes ago. So something I'm really passionate about, but I had um, a guy by the name of Hannibal Navies who played uh, in a league around the nineties. So when I was, you know, a young pup and whatnot, he played, I believe from like 98 to 2006 or something like that. Uh, but he was always somebody that was uh, there for me, man. Like while I was playing and even after I was done, man, like when I was, a, or even when I became a free agent, I'll reach out to him. I reach out to my man, uh, Jesse Tuggle, who was another undersized linebacker, played for the Falcons, who I met uh, on my uh, journey. Uh, he, we had the same trainer, Chip Smith. And his son was actually a couple years younger than me, Justin Tuggle. Uh, and he ended up playing linebacker as well. But I would reach out to guys like that, man, and just be like, hey, man, like, what do you think I should do? Like, do you think I should, you think I'm going to get picked back up? Or do you think I'm tall enough? Or, you know, I always had, guys like that, that I could uh, just ask questions to and, and just lean on, man, for, for information and for knowledge. And I always sought knowledge. You know, I never was one to think, man, I'm, I'm a good player, so I've arrived and I don't really need anybody else's advice. Like, nah, I, I sought out as many mentors and, and counselors and folks that I could and was always humble and willing to listen, man. And, and that's one of the things, one of the biggest things I said that, that helped me. What would you say was the biggest thing of of having the the tremendous success that you've had off of the field? Like what's some what's some like valuable resources or some tips that that you could give to a young athlete? Yeah, I would say, man, humility. Humility mm. is uh, one of the, the most powerful things. Like if there's nothing else, if you are just willing to listen and be coachable and, you know, not get to that point where you think, you OK, I'm making plays here. I'm getting newspaper articles written about me or I'm a five-star now. So I don't, I don't got to talk to this person. I don't got to listen to this coach. I can do it. Like, you know, just putting that ego and that pride to the side and always realizing that there's a next level. There's always somebody better. There's always something that you can learn and you can learn something from everybody. Um, approaching people with respect, right? Like that alone will take you so much further regardless of what you accomplish on the football field. You know, just that alone, man, that humility and that hunger um, has it, been one of the biggest things that has set me apart because I, I never, um, no matter how, how much I accomplished, man, and that, that was just part of my upbringing was the humility piece because my parents, like, they, you know, my mom came here with $10, $10 in her pocket. And uh, I, I grew up eating Roman noodles and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Like, <laughs> so I don't have an arrogant bone in my body, man. So um, 
yeah, when, when I see athletes who are operating in that and parents that promote that arrogance, it kills me because I know that they, they're just setting them up for them, themselves up and that parents are setting their child up for failure, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Because there will come a point in time where you will need people to speak on your behalf or you're, you're going to need help. And if you're one of those who's always been arrogant and who never listened, who always thought you had it made and figured out, the time when people want to help you, they're not even going to want to help you. You know, the time when, when people are, are supposed to stick their neck out and give you a recommendation or speak on your behalf, but they, they're not going to have good things to say. And that, that was something that was uh, that I saw throughout my career was guys who were good enough, talented enough, they had all the ability, they were smart, but they had that arrogance They didn't, or they didn't have that work ethic. And so ultimately when it came down to them uh, achieving that success or getting to that next level or getting to the NFL, getting drafted where they're supposed to get drafted, they didn't get drafted where they're supposed to get drafted or not, they didn't even get drafted at all. Just because of that simple fact, man. So that's that's one thing I would heavily harp on is humility. Um, the next thing I would say, man, is um, really just striving for excellence, man. Uh, there's so many guys who, once again, they're talented, but they are going through the motions, man. They just are kind of out there. You know, they don't, they don't really um, go over and above the call of duty. They're worried about the fact that, like, the coach didn't give them this many reps or I'm second string. I'm not, you know, I'm not in a position I want to be in um, instead of just striving for excellence, regardless of where you are. Like, and for me, it, it became not just about am I a starter? Am I getting to this next level? It just became about am I becoming the best version of myself? Is this the best of what I know I, I can do right now? Forget what the coach say, forget what even sometimes my teammates say, if they're, if they're you know, think I'm deserved to be a leader on the team or, or a starter or not. What do I believe I can accomplish? And if I'm not meeting uh, up to that standard, then I know I got to challenge myself. I know I got to change something. And so I would say just striving for personal excellence, not even just excellence as an athlete, but just striving for your own personal excellence, maximizing what you know God gave you. I think that's another major thing I would leave with athletes so that when you're done with this game, because I tell athletes this all the time, we all only have a certain amount of reps that we're able to play in this game. Like, I don't care how good you are. There's going to come a point in time where your knees are not going to be functioning like they used to. Uh, Why'd you have to bring up knees, man? Yeah, I mean, that's just (laughs) real. I never thought in a million years, but it's like the time came. And you got to be able to to live with yourself, man. You got to be able to look at yourself in the mirror when you're done playing this game. And to know that after it's said and done, that you did every single thing you – you could to succeed, that's the best feeling. Like knowing that you, you gave it your all, you laid it all on the line, you left it all on the field, that's the best feeling in the world when, you, when you're, you know, 32, you know, 35, 40 years old, you can, you can be happy with yourself, you can be at peace. Mm. And uh, to me, that's the, that's the ultimate win right there. Definitely. I feel like a lot, a lot of people too misinterpret uh, like singular success, like, Hey, that guy won a champion or a championship or a national title or something like that. So now he's considered successful for the rest of his life. Whereas that guy might not feel like that. And one of the things in your book, I wrote it down here and I got it in my notes, Hmm. losing the hunger for success. Once you start getting some things, once you start winning now, all of a sudden I've won, I've won a singular championship or I've won a game or or something that you were shooting for. What, in your opinion, how do you combat that? 
Like you get one win. So now all of a sudden I feel like I'm successful. So now I kind of have to re-register and realign my goals and stuff like that. What, what do you tell people that you coach of, of how to beat that? It's right, not right. just about one win. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's a, that's a great and powerful question that I think we all need to ask ourselves. What is our definition of success? You know, ultimately, man, like you have to be clear on that. And not only that, it has to be something of substance. It has to be something that's bigger than yourself, in my opinion. Because what happens is if you have something, man, that's like um, something that's fleeting, right? Like a championship, something that is is temporary, something that uh, is like Christmas, right? You open up that gift and it's like you have that high. And then a week later, but you know what I'm saying? It's like <laughs> you're not even thinking about that gift anymore. Like it's, it's on the shelf somewhere collecting dust. So if your ultimate uh, success is something that is fleeting, something that's temporary, that, that is, gives you temporary, a temporary feeling of success or fulfillment, it's not going to be it. And I, I've, I've talked about that a lot lately. Like you really, really have to sit down with yourself and ask yourself, like ultimately what, what is true success for me? What is the truest, most genuine um, form of success for me? Is it uh, becoming the best version of myself? Is it building a legacy? Is it impacting my community? Like, what's that thing that's going to be, uh, you know, success or give you that fulfillment long after that first initial feeling has subsided, right? Something that is, is a gift that keeps giving, you know? So for me, that's like uh, making an impact in my community. Uh, you know, like what I did with my book, that's a gift that keeps giving, you know, something that's going to be around long after I'm, I'm done playing as an athlete. It has to be about, you know, building yourself, inspiring somebody else, man, inspiring the next generation. For me, it was about uh, one of the things as an athlete is I realized, man, that if I could get to this highest level, not just if I can get this scholarship, not just if I can get to the NFL, but if I can get to this certain level, man, I can help my family. Like I can change things for my entire generation. Like I was the first one. It's crazy. Like I was the first one in my entire line of my family, my generation, my generation's existence to do this. So for me, it was so much bigger than just getting a championship. Like this, this meant literally I was changing the trajectory of my legacy of of my family legacy. Mm. And so when it's like that, it don't matter like if you win, it don't matter if you lose, because you're just out, you're playing for something bigger. And you're gonna go a lot harder if you know your legacy is attached to it, as opposed to if you're just trying to win a championship. So Absolutely. that's that's what I, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah, and if people, I do. If, if people approach like not only sports that way, if they approach their job that way, imagine their level of performance, what their level of performance would be. Yeah, if they approach being a father that way. Imagine what you know how they would approach things. It just changes things. It it takes the sting off of the loss, and it yeah. takes the ego inflation out of the win. It keeps right. you balanced and level constantly, exactly. and that's kind of what it's. I, I wanted to ask you that because it's definitely something that I'm going through with this podcast. Like I feel like right. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm I'm you know, building it and stuff like that. And I've had people ask me like, man, you only got like so many views. You only got so many of this. But for me, it's constantly a win. Like if 20 people hear you speak on my podcast, it's, you know, my like life's thing, like my, my, I feel like my life's purpose 
is reaching out and helping people however I can. And in doing this, I mean, again, yeah. big thank you, man, for, for sharing your time. And I know, uh, you know, time is getting kind of tight. I know you got other obligations. So and I, I um, too, man, um, cause this is something I, I really believe in and I, I speak on too, is you have to fully like dissect your experience. And what I mean by that is like so many people, they only focus on certain things, uh, within their experience. Like for podcasting, for example, people may only focus on the numbers, right? The number of listeners, right? And that may be your ultimate goal and your ultimate definition of success is how many listeners you got. But in the process of doing this podcast, there's so many other things that you're gaining. There's so many other skills that you're gaining that if you don't take the time to dissect that hmm. experience, you're gonna miss out on it. You, you're not even gonna realize all these skills that you're building, like public speaking, like yeah. being able to manage a, a product, you know, uh, pro, uh, project management, right? Mm. Like uh, being able to have emotional intelligence when you're interviewing somebody and you're able to listen to them and, and hear how they're feeling and, and shoot another question, like facilitation. That's yeah. another skill that you're building. I mean, there's just so many things. And so I think having the ability to do that, to dissect your experience will also help you to understand like the true wins that you're, that you're gaining. And that's another thing that we miss out on athletes that we don't do. We don't dissect our experience. So it's like, if we don't make it to the NFL, we're like, oh man, I'm a failure. If we don't get that scholarship, we're like, oh, I'm a failure. Instead of really understanding like the, ex the full extent of the experience and what we really gain. So that's another thing I'll say too. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Cause when you leave being an athlete, now you know how to be a tremendous teammate. You know what you've been exposed. If you, especially if you played at the D one level, there's a chance yeah. that you got exposed to a handful of dudes or women or whatever it was that end up going yeah. and doing amazing things with their life. So it's like, oh, yeah. now I, I do it all the time where it's like, as an 18 year old kid, I met this guy, this guy, and this guy, and now right. they're all doing tremendous stuff with their lives. What were they doing back then that was different than what I was doing? So right. that, like you said, I, I never heard it put like that of di dissecting yeah. it, but that's a brilliant, brilliant yeah. idea. Uh, even so, deeper than just the field. I, I was going to say even deeper than yeah, just the ahead. field too, is um, when I was at University of Georgia, for example, there was the aspect of dissecting that experience on the field and as an athlete. But then there's a whole organization of University of Georgia athletics that mm -hmm. I also had to dissect. Like I stopped just walking through and just going to football practice. Like I started looking around me and becoming aware of the system that I was in. So mm. the University of Georgia athletics, just like the NFL, they're no different than any corporate organization. Like they have a sales team, they have a marketing team, they have a fundraising arm, they have a, a executive staff. And so mm -hmm. I started even dissecting that and understanding like this is a corporation. Yeah. There's there's procedures and there's things that they do. They, they have a culture. And so understanding that just like opened up my mind completely that this is not just a game. Like this is a business. This is a mm -hmm. whole entire legit organization. And so once I started understanding that, that was how I was able to really translate my experience from being an athlete to now being able to go into corporations and help them with their culture and helping them, you know, operate more efficiently and, and helping their employees improve their performance. So that, that was um, one of the greatest breakthroughs that I had, man. So before, before we get to the closing remarks, I always like to ask this question because I feel like it kind of, um, it's, it's kind of a deeper question, but if you could go back 
and talk to your 16 or 18 year old self, 16, 18 is mm. the age frame I'm looking for here. If you could go back and talk to that Rennie, yeah. what, what would you tell him as far as any kind of advice that you could give or, or any, any perspective, what would you say? Oh man, uh, that's, a, that's a great question. And the more I, I thought about it, man, um, it, it would have, yeah, it, it would have been something that I don't even know if I would have received at that time. Because, you know, mm. your mind is not even fully developed. Yeah. So, uh, you know, God's timing, right? God's plan. Yes. Uh, so, but if I could say anything to my younger self, I would have told my younger self that, man, like, you cannot use success or especially with football or anything, success in life, you can't use that as uh, a mass. You can't, like, success does not make you exempt from like the trauma that you experience as a child, like the, mm. the work that you have to do on yourself, you know, um, it, it does not remove those things, man. And so you have to be willing to do the work on yourself. You have to know yourself. And, um, you know, I would have started doing things like counseling and, and therapy a lot earlier. Uh, mm. There's so many of us right now, especially us athletes who are walking around with childhood trauma and things that happened to us, things that we didn't get from our parents you know, uh, experiences that we felt like should have been different, should have, should have never happened. And we don't, we don't, uh, uh, get healed from it, man. And what happens is we use success in our achievements and even our relationships as like a bandaid. Right. And so you may get to a great place in life, but eventually those things are going to come up, especially mm -hmm. if it's something that involves like stitch you put a band-aid over something that involves stitches <laughs> or surgery uh eventually it's going to come back up and it's going to impact your life and it's going to impact your relationships and um you know that's what i would say to my younger self and, and for anybody who gets a chance to watch this that's young that um you know you know you've got some trauma some things that are going on at home right and it's not to say that like trauma means like it's something like you saw somebody get killed in front of you. Like that's a lot of times when we think about trauma, um, we think about those things that are just like crazy, right? But trauma can just mean like, you know, your, your, your mom didn't give you affection or mm -hmm. you saw your parents arguing frequently, right? Like mm -hmm. that's, that's trauma, that's a dysfunction. So learning how that in, uh, has impacted your life and what type of patterns that's created uh, in you, the earlier that you can learn that, man, the greater your life is going to be, the, the less damage that will happen in your relationships and, and things like that, the less hurt that will happen, man. So that's that's what I'll say, man. It will be my thing. I think a lot of people too, uh, and it, like you said, especially especially football players and, and athletes that have achieved such a high level of success, yeah. I feel like sometimes it's so difficult for, for people like that to, to open up and to right. say like, hey – this I'm like vulnerable. Like I right. have emotions and feelings. I'm a human being. Like, yeah. I feel like, you know, nowadays, I mean, I, I think it's, it's changing a little bit. And it I is. think with, with, you know, media like this, and I feel like, you know, long form open conversations, I feel like stuff like that uh, is kind of alleviating some of that, but even just a personal talk with someone you love, like, you know, right. talking to your wife or, Talk right, to your right. mom or your dad, anyone that you can open up to and just like let this shit out. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's it sounds so 
dumb, but it's so easy, but so effective. Like it, it's yeah, helped me tremendously in my life, uh, being able to open up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, definitely. Definitely. So again, uh, I think that was a perfect way to kind of wrap this thing up, man. I want to tell you so much respect to what you're doing so much respect for the things that you have done and yeah. thank you so much. So, so much for coming on and sharing this wisdom and these, these pieces of, of information with me and my audience, man, I, I can't thank you enough for that. As, as we kind of roll on, uh, how can people find you? How can people connect with you? Yeah. So the easiest way is through my website, rennycurrent.com. If you're ever interested, uh, if anybody listening is ever interested in bringing me out as a speaker or uh, delivering a workshop, or if you're interested in getting some one-on-one coaching, um, yeah, that's the easiest way. And then uh, always am available to talk to LinkedIn, through Instagram, through Facebook, Twitter, I'm on all of those platforms, man. So that's, that's the easiest way. So I, I appreciate the platform and keep doing what you're doing, man. Keep inspiring as many people as you can. Even if it's just 20 people, you never know who that 20th person may be. They could go on to, to you know, be, be whoever, you know what I'm saying? It's, yeah. That's the crazy thing about it, man, is the numbers don't tell the true story of impact and influence. Uh, yeah, don't shortchange me though, Renny. I'm at 50 <laughs> right now, so. Oh no, nah, yeah, nah, I, I know it's gonna grow, man. It's it's just persistence, man, and, and whatnot. Yep. That's the name of the game. It's just, mm. man. And what I realized too about business and about anything that you're trying to take on is like there's a certain extent of time where you have to pay your dues. I don't care what mm. you're doing. You know, as an athlete, I realized that like even even when I did become talented, when I did get to Georgia, when I did get to the NFL, it was just like a certain amount of time. Well, I had to, like, there was no acknowledgement. There was no return on my investment of time and effort, but I just had to continue to believe it. And it was like, whether well, it was two months, three months, sometimes a year, sometimes three years, but eventually, like, I had that breakthrough. But before that, I had to pay my dues, man. So that's, that's mm-hmm. like a thing that I live by and something I, I dedicate myself to. I know you didn't experience it, but that's like that red shirt mentality, man. Yeah, that's that it. whole year you're not playing at all. It's like driving me yeah. crazy. Like, <laughs> right? But, no, I, I experienced it, man. Not not to the full extent of playing a full red shirt, but yeah, didn't get red shirted. Which is, I, I don't know which one is worse. Is like red shirting or not red shirting and then not playing. It's mm. just like why? Why did they? Why didn't <laughs> why you, did you not red? Me? <laughs> yeah, so it's like a slap, like a you dangle a carrot in somebody's face and you. You pull it away. So um, that that was uh, that was one of the toughest things I had to experience. But in that moment, I just had to go by faith and just believe that God God would honor my sacrifice. And eventually, it, it happened, man. So yeah, that's awesome, man. I appreciate the time again, Rennie. I hope you have yeah. a great rest of your night, brother. Oh yeah, you too, man. Appreciate you. Thank you all again for tuning in this episode of the podcast. Thank you to my guest Rennie for giving us all some great insight into his journey. Make sure to like, share, subscribe to the show, and join the conversation on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. That's it for this one. And until next time, go do something good for someone. Peace.